In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi listeners, I'm Theo, one of the podcast producers here at The Telegraph, and I just wanted to interrupt this episode of Mad World to tell you about another podcast I think you might like. It's called Other People's Problems, and it's made by our friends at CBC. Normally, therapy sessions are totally confidential, but this podcast opens the doors. From overcoming fears of finding new love after a dysfunctional marriage, to confronting a painful relationship with a family member, in these real-life therapy sessions we discover and hear firsthand that other people's problems are a lot like our own. Subscribe to Other People's Problems at cbc.ca slash op or wherever you normally listen to Mad World, which I'll let you get on with now. My guest this week is a broadcaster extraordinaire who has decades of experience, even though she is a fresh-faced... 36? Mm-hmm. It's fern cotton, everybody. I put my headphones on. Am I, what, you don't need to have sun, headphones on. Because it feels more sort of... Like proper. Well, I feel like you are. You have come straight from Radio I 2, have. so I, I feel like I should do what you're doing. Yeah. Okay, hang on. That feels quite sort of professional now. Do you it know does. It <laughs> didn't before. <laughs> Just but I like say, the loose nature of podcasts. It's the best thing about it. Well, At radio, it's all very formal. and Is it? Yeah, it is. It's quite old school. I do like that as well. But I like podcasts just to chat, aren't they? It's That's great. what this is. It's a chat in Fab. a... Fab. Slightly. I mean, I don't know how this studio measures up to your studio. I mean, not BBC. much different. Really? No, the Radio 1 studios are all spaceship-like and new and really swanky and there's lights and cameras and everything. Radio 2... They're disco lights. Literally (laughs) disco lights. And then Radio 2 is sort of like a wooden desk with four faders and you just go, "Mm, any mini money? Yeah, that one, go for it. And see what happens. They're very old school. I like that. That's amazing. Wogan House. Wogan... I know. Sir Terry. Take a moment. Honestly, when he passed away, I was so devastated about that he was so amazing so special and oh I will love that man forever he was the best best of the best I can just hear his voice in my ears and not obviously it's your voice I'm not saying you sound like Terry Wogan but he's one of those people that you can just instantly recall no one will ever be as good as him on the radio it's impossible he will remain the best forever and ever amen to that amen to that we start the podcast we start most podcasts talking about how brilliant Terry Wogan is. Good. And then what we ask everyone is, how are you? Like, I know, because I listen. 
So I'm, I'm anticipating that question. I have forgotten to ask it a few times. Have you? And Kim, the producer, looks over at me and goes... Mm. Uh, yeah. You can't see the face I'm doing, but it's a it's a sort of a look of frustration yeah. that is very common to me <laughs> to see on other people's faces. <laughs> so how are you right now, Fern? Wood? Yeah, you can call me Wood. Wood? Yeah. My husband would like that I would just stick with wood the whole time, but it's confusing to people that have... Fern Cotton, Fern knee. Wood Knee Cotton. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually. I just went for a run after the radio, which for you and I is a good, important bit of brain space. And if I've had a run, even if it's been a crummy day or I'm feeling a bit weird, that will up the ante a bit for me. It'll go either down this road of, oh, yeah, life's quite cool, actually, today. Things are good. Or it could just sort of give me a bit more energy. But there's no downside to having a run. So No. So I'm glad that I did that. Tick. The other thing about going for a run, I'm just going to butt in. Get in there. Is that I never want to go for a run. No, who does? But I never regret going for one. Yes, exactly. That's my thing. I nearly talked myself out of it because I purposefully said to you, could we do this now so that I knew I had time in between radio and here to go for a run. And if I chose not to go for a run, I would just sit there doing nothing. So I have to go. And I brought the trainers in from home. They were sat next to me at radio. (laughs) Before I knew I was out. When you're out, it's great. And the sun was shining today and fresh air, all those simple, simple things, I think, Mm. are massively important. Especially, I think, if you know you've got a bit of niggling depression or anxiety or whatever on the horizon, doing simple things like that is so, so important. It does make a massive difference. Mm, Yeah. I always used to be very sceptical about that. I always thought that I was going to be the first person to prove that drinking all the alcohol and taking all the drugs Mm. was going to make my mental health better. Mm -hmm. And then I got to this point where eventually I had to go... Maybe these experts are onto something. Yeah. Maybe they know what they're talking about. Maybe mm. exercise does release endorphins. Mm. I went for a run yesterday and I had been doing that thing where I've been putting it off for a week. And I was thinking, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to And it had become this huge yeah. thing. And I went for a run and instantly the world was an amazing place. It is, there's so many brilliant things that come from running. You know, Not just only the sort of physical aspects of it, endorphins being released and your body not feel like you know especially this time of year I feel so sort of decrepit and dry skinned like some sort of scaly ancient lizard and as soon as I go running everything expands again and my lungs are pumping and my blood's rushing around my body and it just physically obviously is brilliant and then mentally there's loads of pluses for me with that one it's like tick I challenged myself and set myself a small goal and I did it. That always makes me feel better mm-hmm. about myself. Pushing against things that you think you don't want to do or can't do. Reaching small little goals that you've set yourself throughout the week. Also moving on energy and feeling like you're moving on or banishing sort of negatives that were rumbling around your brain. I feel like you're pushing through those or you're moving out the way of them. Or I don't know, that for me feels like quite a good physical move on. Mm-hmm. And just the headspace when you're actually out running. I sometimes listen to music sometimes don't and there's just that clarity and nice sort of clearness that allows in new ideas and thoughts or I can unpick a worry that's rumbling around or whatever it's a good bit of space and time and as a mum as you know you don't get much of that no 
nobody can bother you. Yes, great. They, as long as they can't run as fast as you, it's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've got years to come. So, Fern, I remember you back in the mid 90s, mm. late 90s. 96, I started. You did Disney Club, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. I yeah. mean, you were a child yourself. Yes. Doing children's television presenting. Mm. And what I think is lovely and kind of extraordinary and remarkable is to see how you've blossomed the way you've kind of grown into this because you're not just a broadcaster you're also your latest book is calm Mm -hmm. which follows up from happy which was a huge success but you've also done cookery books and yoga babies which is the cutest children's very cute. book, which I like to read to my daughter. Oh, thank you. She now thinks that she's really good at yoga. I bet she is. <laughs> Everyone's good at yoga, well, every, right? Everyone can do yoga. doesn't matter what level you're no, at. No, We're not just matter. discussing this. You, were. you know, you've kind of become, I'm going to throw this word in, I feel like it is the, the best word to describe you, a bit of a guru. Wow, I thought you might go at the best polymath or something like that. A but, polymath? But I can throw guru, that in. Guru, I'm... Grabbing hold of and running very quickly away from you with. (laughs) You know what? I just feel quite jammy a lot of the time that I've ended up. It could have been very different. I've ended up rooting around, working out what I want to do and what feels right to making some good decisions, making some bad ones to then making the best of situations that felt really awful at the time. It feels like, especially with writing the books Mm -hmm. I'm able to again yeah like make the best of situations that felt like they were ruining me or that people would judge me on only the negative that they might see or read or assume and I just feel very lucky that I've had that sort of platform to sit and write down my thoughts and you know, not like, oh, so everyone can hear what I have to say and understand me but I love that I've had the chance to do that and Obviously, it's a very cathartic process and very sort of therapeutic on many levels. But I think that has allowed me to explore other avenues and expand in ways that I might not necessarily have done if I just stuck to the linear route of I want to be on the telly all the time or I just want to do radio. Writing's sort of opened everything up for me and allowed Mm. me to try lots of new things and talk about subjects I'm very passionate about. So... I feel quite jammy in that respect. I've definitely taken some big risks because the books could have been a huge flop. It could have led to absolutely nothing but a big waste of time. But luckily, people have liked them and they've resonated with them. Yeah, and I'm really bloody grateful for those people that have given me such nice feedback. And I'm sure you've experienced the same with Mad Girl. When somebody comes up to you and says, oh my God, you know, that bit really hit home with me or that bit was like reading my diary or whatever that's unbeatable that feeling Mm. that's better than doing an award-winning tv show not i've had one oh maybe celebrity juice but that's not necessarily (laughs) mine or a radio show whatever it's so much more personal and impactful and i'm really feel very jammy and it makes you feel better doesn't it because so often we feel like we are in calm you write about having this panic attack Mm. driving back and in the kind of midst of a panic attack in the midst of all of these in an episode of depression or whatever form it might take you always feel completely isolated like a freak disconnected Yeah. yeah so actually making that connection with someone And that is really good to store in your bank for the next time it happens because you can say, hang on, I've written this book 
I've met loads of people yeah. who have said to me, me too. I know this is this is actually totally. quite normal. I've really applied that to the panic attack situation mm. because I get them here and there, not as frequently as I was at the start of last year, where they just seem to be around every corner. And I think I was absolutely exhausted mm. and I was juggling a lot of plates and there was a few stressful things happening in life that were kind of... I think on a more subconscious level, really draining me. And I thought I had it all sussed and I was spinning plates, but really I wasn't taking care of myself at all. Mm-hmm. When I was having the panic attacks, and I hadn't told anyone at this point, I'd seen a, a GP to ask what the hell's going on with my body, but I hadn't really told any friends or anyone I knew because I just felt very alone, like you're saying, very alienated. And since, oh my God, I've met so many people that have them all the time. And again, people that have them specifically when driving on a motorway, because that is my my one massive trigger and I still won't drive on the motorway. Mm-hmm. But I've had them in other circumstances where you just feel a little bit nervous or anxious about something or it's almost like my mind plays a trick on me and goes, oh, it'd be awful if you fainted now. Then all of a sudden I feel like I'm going, I'm yeah. going to faint, I'm off, I'm leaving my body. It will be like when I'm interviewing someone amazing or or on live TV and you're like, not now. And you have the inner battle in your head going, just breathe it out. Or, yeah, other people have been through this. You're not on your own or whatever. So that does help without a doubt. But they're still pretty hard to break through and work through properly. But I give it my best shot each time. Bit of good breathing as well. That always helps. One of the many things I love about you. God, I always sound so simpering. But <laughs> I think it's really good to express gratitude for a person I'm trying to do it more often but you try and work through why these things happen I think in life we don't try to get to the end of something we just want it done yeah so someone said to me the other day um I'm in recovery and I've just done rehab and stuff someone said to me for the first time you're probably getting to the end of your tears and you work to the end of it and work out why you've had Mm, that reaction mm, and why mm. you feel that way Mm. and you actually thoroughly go through it and then you probably won't ever feel it as profoundly as you know or horribly as then Mm, mm. but you just mentioned exhaustion Mm. and the fact that you actually sat there and went why am I having these panic attacks yeah and you sort of looked for a reason and I think that's really important because there is always a solution and there is always a sort of oh my god an answer and a reason yes I mean sometimes there are no reasons but you can just sort of look at your body and go Definitely. It's a sign, isn't it? It's a bit of a sign, or for me, it was a bit of a wake-up call, maybe, that I needed to make a few changes in life and start asking for help a bit more because I'm useless at asking other people to do mm-hmm. anything for me. It makes me feel instantly guilty or worried that they're going to think badly of me. I'm constantly worrying about something. So mm. I had to make a few changes there. But I think I've naturally always been someone that is looking for a reason for everything. And like, As you say, sometimes there just isn't. This is a bit of a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's a brilliant thing because it does make you stop and go, right, what changes need to be made? What do I need to do to help myself out rather than helping everybody else out? But also sometimes that turns into I beat myself up about everything Mm because I'll go, right, this has fallen apart or this didn't work out. What have I done wrong? What's the reason? Am I not doing this good enough? Am I not giving enough? Am I not being empathetic enough and I'll always try and unpick everything and like you say sometimes shit happens and you have to just roll with it so I think sometimes it can be really handy to look for reasons and go on a bit of a Sherlock Holmes kind of detective route to try and locate what's going on but other times you do have to just surrender and go whatever let's just yeah let's just move on from it. you know it happened let's you know we've experienced that great let's just crack on as normal yeah I realized and I said that 
there's always a reason, I said, and then there are sometimes are no reasons. I'm like completely contradicting yourself there. <laughs> what I mean is there are sometimes no reasons, but there are always things we can do to help ourselves. Always. There's always change that can be had. There's always mm. movement, even if it's tiny, tiny incremental steps to something or in a different direction Mm. and I think when we become stagnant and I'm saying this out of personal experience not like I'm sat here preaching but if I've become stagnant stuck in my ways refusing to change my thought patterns more than anything that just is a one-way road to hell because you don't learn anything you're not truly experienced anything because you're so closed off and you're just going to get the same thing thrown back at you again and again whether it be relationships with people that are going badly things in your work life your home life physically health wise things that could be going wrong you have to make changes and you have to be able to move and be malleable and make changes and we all do and we all find that incredibly hard as human beings because it's comfy to be safe in the now and the static and, the, and sometimes even the stagnant and we go back for the same thing again and again and I think that's one of the hardest lessons you learn as you get older is that you have to keep moving and changing otherwise you just end up getting stuck and trapped and that's no way to live. And that's all about self-care because mm. that's like a big buzz phrase mm. at the moment and this morning I was listening to Radio 4 and they had a kind of segment on it on Women's Hour and there, you could tell there was a sort of slight toe curl about it. Yeah, mm. Ooh, that mm. phrase. Mm. But actually, someone was arguing in its defence saying self-care is just what people have done in Buddhism for you, yeah. you know, in the AA and NA programme. Mm. But also, and I remember when I first started having therapy, I remember this therapist saying to me, you know, be kind to yourself, have a manicure. And I remember sitting there thinking, fuck off. <laughs> Having my nails painted is not going to stop my brain telling me Mm. that I am a serial killing Mm paedophile. That's the kind of OCD I have, guys. I'm not actually a serial killing paedophile. Read the book, guys. Read the book. But what she meant was, if you do lots of those little things and you are kind to yourself, it Mm. does make a massive difference that you were just saying. It's like the tiny things you can do, like going for a run. Like even just seeing the colour in your cheeks afterwards. When you're in the grips of depression, everything seems kind of shades of grey and murky and it's like, whoa, I'm alive. Actually, it's okay. Yeah, and self-care, I think Brits do find it hard to say that phrase. Mm. And sometimes it sort of conjures up imagery of a Californian person sun-kissed on the beach drinking a green juice. And that's not what we're talking about at all, like you say. And I think self-care has to be really bespoke. It has to be something that is a personal endeavour and it can't be prescribed by anyone in any particular form. So for you or I, running might be one of the many things that really does work and it's just a very simple activity. Great. My other ones would be spending loads of time with my kids and my husband and friends that I really like and can relax with, eating really good food and making sure that I ate properly through the day, going to bed really early. I mean, it's nothing fancy. They're all, mm. I put this under sort of self-care. But How also, early do you go to bed? Oh, then? like get into bed at nine, read for an hour, I'm asleep by, just gone ten. That late? Is that late? I mean, I feel, I start to get a little bit anxious <laughs> when the clock edges closer to 10. Yeah, 10 o'clock for me is a real cut-off. If I'm out of the house and it's half nine creeping towards not 10... Not acceptable. Not acceptable. <laughs> if someone says, do you want to come for dinner? And they go, oh, it's at eight. Eight! So in my head I've gone, I'm going to arrive at eight, we're going to do bloody small talk for 20 minutes, yeah. we're going to order by about quarter to nine, eat at half nine, <gasps> can't breathe. No. No. So going to bed early, definitely one. But also under the self-care umbrella, 
my big one is like not beating myself up about everything. So say a silly example, but or say I'm on the radio, I'm doing something and I stumble over a word or some irrelevant imperfection. I could beat myself up about that for days and replay it in my head mm-hmm. and worry about it. No one else has really cared. Maybe one person tweets in saying, oh, I much prefer Ken Bruce or something. Fine. And I'm happy that that's your opinion. Cool. You know, I'm just doing my thing. But I've got to stop beating myself up and making anyone else's thoughts, opinions bear down on me. And I'm bad at that and I don't know if it is because I've had sort of public opinion thrown at me for a very long yeah, time I was gonna say. or if also it is just a bit of that's my nature I am a bit of a perfectionist and I have had to really kind of work on just letting things go and not worrying about every step of the day being how I planned it to be but that is a big one for self-care especially for women we always feel like we're not doing well enough we could be doing more of this could be doing more of that Really, we could be doing a lot less and just making mm. things simple. So for me, like self-care is less about I'm going to get a massage every Tuesday. Although it's, that would be nice. That would be bloody lovely <laughs> and never happens, ever. <laughs> it's more about making my head realise it doesn't have to keep replaying mistakes over and over again or mm. worrying about things that I may have said to someone that could have been phrased better or whatever. It's always word-based as well yes. with me. I have to give myself a break and just go... Okay, you might have cocked up. It doesn't matter. Get over it. Nobody's going to have a life that just runs smoothly and perfectly. People might make it look like that on Instagram, but it's certainly not the case. Let's talk about... There's two. There's so many things I want to ask you. But firstly, we'll talk about social media in a yes. bit. But also, you kind of touched on you've had public opinion thrown at you for a very long time. Mm. How did you end up on television at the age of 15? And what was that like? Well, I ended up on there because... I wasn't particularly academic and I didn't love school. I liked bits of it Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to go to university and I had very lofty dreams that I was going to work in showbiz. I had the cliche dream of... And it's a very different sort of dream now to what it would have been back then in the 90s. I think now it is all very kind of reality TV, magazine-based. Back then it was, I wanted to be on the stage and do a theatre show or something like that. So I did lots of local theatre productions and the odd little telly advert if I auditioned for it. I didn't care what it was, I wanted to audition for it and be part of it and I loved every minute of it. I went to a little local dance drama school in a church near my house and that was my life, I just loved it more than anything. So the Disney Club job I got was just a random audition that Mm -hmm. I'd been to. Didn't expect anything to come of it and then I'm luckily 21 years later still blagging my way through it. So uh, be kind <clears throat> to yourself, Fern. Working very hard and doing my best and through you're, it. Because you, you're talented and you can do it. Well, yeah, I've learned. I wasn't good when I started, but I've learned the skill, especially of radio. I've got my stripes there, I think. But I think the public opinion bit and how I've sort of dealt with that has dramatically changed over the years. Okay. When I first got on the show, it was just all great. Social media did not exist. Mm-hmm. I would turn up... I would do the job, have the best day ever. Couldn't believe it. You know, I was from a working class family in the suburbs. I hadn't seen anything remotely like this before in my lifetime. <laughs> Just couldn't believe that I'd been hired and I had a job and that it was in this magical mystery career that I dreamed of for so many years. So it was all brilliant. And then I'd go home from work and just think well that was a fun day and I didn't think what anyone had thought about me when they watched it on TV I didn't care I just was having a great time and I think as time went on and you're more aware of public opinion and then social media is born that's when it becomes a slightly messier situation. How do you deal with that because I love your Instagram. Thank you. It's I was going to say the word authentic but I hate the word authentic (laughs) purely because it sounds so (laughs) unauthentic. 
but you're just you. Yeah, I don't see the point in doing a fake Instagram account. It just seems bizarre. I mean, I could put a lot worse on there, but I sometimes think, do people really want to see? Yeah, I've got a <laughs> shitty nappy smeared up my leg, or do you no. know what I mean? I just think there's <laughs> got to be some boundaries. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I feel that on Instagram, definitely, we're moving away and bucking against that thing of everyone in kind of filtered bikinis and yes, stuff. I'm glad um, about that. People want sort of more real. But how do you deal? Because Social media, it's measured by likes, by follows. Yeah, dangerous. Even if you don't instinctively go in there seeking those, it can become very addictive. Of course. But also, and almost I think that's more problematic than, say, trolls. You can sort of... Also, they don't exist massively on Instagram, do they? Or do no, find... I think Instagram is a bit kinder sometimes than Twitter. I don't yeah. know why. Do you do Twitter that much? Yeah, I do. I do both. I like Twitter because I like the conversation element of it. And I like that you can open up a conversation or make a point, And it could be even something around what I'm writing about and just mm-hmm. see what you get back. And I find that really valuable. So I do like Twitter and I do love Instagram as well. I think the sort of troll side of it, I care less about because I can usually sort of reason with what's going on and say right this person is possibly quite unhappy in their own life and I have become an innocent target that they've just gone in on Mm -hmm. and fine whatever the thing I find trickiest is when people have got me really wrong and that's Mm. not them just sort of slagging me off or being negative it's when they think or they've made assumptions about me that I know are absolutely (laughs) wrong so what that drives me mad I don't blame you it drives me insane it might just be that they I can't even think of any massive specifics, but I do get them quite a lot when somebody just assumes something that isn't real or isn't true and they make assumptions about the whole industry and that I'm clumped in it. Now, yes, I work in a very bizarre industry and some of it can be a bit overly decadent and silly and fussy at times, but that doesn't make me those things. You know, I... I'm from a really grounded, lovely, normal family and I still do really lovely, normal things and that is my everything. Yes, it could be exciting to go and interview Justin Timberlake or someone like that. And that is fun. I know, don't get me started. Like That is fun and exciting, of course, but my everyday life and the actual real nurturing, deep-rooted happiness comes from all the same stuff as anybody else. Like Mm. going for a run, like being with my children, like baking a cake, like painting a nice picture. It's nothing fancy. So I think I get... Painting a nice picture. I love painting. I would prefer to hang out with Justin Timberlake. Would you? I did actually interview him once. He's amazing. I didn't... Well, let's not go into that. It was a long time ago. You weren't fast. Is this Britney Spears days or post It was kind of just post Britney Spears days. And what happened was we were all told not to mention the B word. Right. And then the PR was so obsessed with this that they accidentally introduced me as Britney and not Brian. Oh, that's a bad start. It was really... Not your fault. It was 2002, I think. So it was a long time ago. And then he was like, you know, I'm really spiritual. This is a terrible American accent. I do apologise. And then he like lit a candle. Oh. And then he was like, I'm really spontaneous. Why don't we go and do this interview in that tree outside? Side and I was like, okay then. And he was like, no, I was only joking. <sighs> I just feel as, as much just an experience. But that was a long time ago, there. and I am willing. I tell you what, I'm, I'll be willing to park him if he wants to come on come this podcast on. and talk about mental health. Bring a candle. Bring a candle, and we can talk about it. being spiritual because I'm much a more spiritual person now, Justin. Yeah, maybe that's where you'll make the connection now that you've both I, grown I, so much. I have grown as a person, and mm. he was already fully blossomed. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. 
Sorry, that's that's taken a weird diversion. But I really into... like these tangents, especially talking about Justin Timberlake. Yeah. But I would honestly get equal measure enjoyment interviewing Justin or doing a nice painting. Probably more doing the painting because I wouldn't worry about it after, whereas interviewing Justin could propel me into a night of worry that I could have done better. You've interviewed some, like, big people. Mm. Yeah, I have. Who are the biggest? I mean, well, probably I'm... the same as you, <laughs> the wonderful Prince Harry and Prince William together. Oh, not interviewed twice. Prince William. He's very lovely. I mean, just probably two of the nicest people I've interviewed ever. Was it hard doing them both at the same yeah, time? Yeah, because I was really young as well. I was about 23 and I'd never met anyone royal or anyone connected to the royal family. So I'd interviewed a lot of pop stars and stuff like mm-hmm. that and I'd become a bit, not blasé, but a little bit like, oh yeah, another pop star sort of thing. But with a royal family member, I just couldn't digest what was happening. And I was taken to Clarence's house and I could see them walking towards me. And it was like two fictional characters sort of walking towards me that couldn't possibly be there and saying my name. And I was just sort of having a very massive out-of-body experience going, what do I, how do I talk to them? We're doing small talk first. And I just found the whole thing utterly terrifying. But it went well, thank goodness. I find the weirdest thing is actually normal. how not weird they yeah. are. How completely normal they are. Because if I was them, I would be like in rehab. Well, I mean, I have been in rehab and I'm not them. If I had gone through the, all of the things yeah. they'd gone through, I would not be as grounded. I think they're incredible. That. And for Harry and William, because they're doing heads together, to talk like they have been so openly, especially about their mum, like, losing your mum is the worst thing ever. And the way that it happened to them and the fact that they're now able to so eloquently talk about it, mm. I just think is astounding. So that will always be my favourite interview moment ever. Can't be beaten. And then Justin Timberlake. He's on the list somewhere, and, maybe and not then, right under them. And then me interviewing you, obviously. Yeah. The, I mean, this is the <laughs> second time now, and it's it's an experience. The first time I interviewed, or first time I met first, yeah. I have been asked to interview you at a book festival, mm. and I was like, yes, please. <laughs> and it was about yoga babies, and I was like, shall we do some... It was a bit like the interview with Justin Timberlake. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Drink. Shall we do some yoga? You did a handstand, didn't you? Oh, something like that. You did an amazing down, like a really... A good downward dog, You did yeah. a good downward dog, and yeah. I just did some cat-cow. You did cat-cow Which is literally the easiest thing. Mm, but you did it very well. <laughs> and with no inhibition, which is quite something. <laughs> In front of an audience of well-to-do literary types. In Henley. <laughs> that was fun. Anyway, where were we? Justin Timberlake, Prince yeah. Harry, Cat Cow. I've lost all tangent. Let's go back to you. Okay. <laughs> Do we have to? Social media. Oh, it's yes, just, that's what we're talking about. No, let's not talk about we've that We've done anymore. that. We've parked that. I feel like social media is sort of to blame for everything, isn't it, nowadays? Yeah, I think we have to... You know what? It's using your brain and using common sense, isn't it? Yeah. It's like going to the cinema. You go to watch a film and you go, that was brilliant or awful. And oh, you might fancy the lead person in the film, but you don't come away going, but why aren't I with them in real life? And why aren't I wearing those amazing clothes they had on? You just walk away and it's a fantasy. But we've sort of blurred the lines of social media mm. and we've made it all really personal. And I think we just need to sort of remember that it is part fantasy, part real. And it can be fun and it can be aspirational and you can connect with other people. But it's just not to get too serious about it. We all know when we've been on it too much, you start to feel a bit funny and mm. weird. And just get off it. You've just got to use common sense. You do have immense power on social media. Like I remember after that, we did our yoga together. <laughs> 
<laughs> we keep going back to this wonderful nostalgic memory. Uh, that was only a few months ago. <laughs> I posted a picture and then you posted a picture and I got li- literally not 100,000 followers because I only have 34,000 followers. But I got a lot of followers. I was like, you've got a lot of followers. Yeah, but they wouldn't follow you unless they thought, this girl's got something to say. Okay, I like that, her. But that's, but that's not, I'm, not, I'm just saying you have a lot of... Yeah, you know, it's taken a long time to build up a trust with the people that I'm talking to, I guess. And that's what has enabled me to do nice things like write the books and I'm doing a podcast series that comes out in March. And I think that's allowed me to have... mm, That's allowed me to have that conversation and to go, here's what I'm talking about. What do you think about it? And for us to understand each other, it's taken like 21 years to get to that place because some people that are engaging what I do now were... 15 when I was 15 watching Mm. me interview Will Meller on Disney Club Will Meller first ever interviewed person yeah what's he up to now comes on Celebrity Juice quite a lot does he okay is that really fun to record yeah it's stupid isn't it silly but fun I am when I was pregnant it used to be the thing that made me laugh in the world so I don't know why I mean I don't maybe after I was pregnant and I had the baby I just didn't have time to watch anything (laughs) no who does I used to go it's like 10 o'clock at night I used to go and buy DVDs of celebrities no (laughs) do they exist they did at the time and my husband was like I think there's something wrong with you (laughs) And I would cry with laughter. Oh, I'm so glad. But that's all we want to do. It's just escapism. And that's mm. our only goal is for it to be, right, you've had a crap week. It's February. It's dark. It's miserable. We've run out of money from Christmas. Just watch this absolute nonsense and laugh. That's the only goal for that show. So you just mentioned you're going to be doing a podcast series. Yes. Can you give us any... I can. I can give you some bits, some stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be called... Well, it is called Happy Place, and it, I guess, is a slight extension of the books. Mm-hmm. But luckily, Happy Place is quite a sort of nebulous phrase, so we've been able to adventure down many avenues with some really wonderful people. So much like you do, talking to people in an open and honest way. There's no fakery or smoke and mirrors. You're just having a chat. And I've recorded the first series already. It's done. Wow. Yes. So the first few names, I think I'm allowed to say, and if I'm not, I get in trouble. Who cares? Dawn French, which was amazing. And I love her dearly. And we talked all about sort of big life decisions and seminal moments in life and coming to crossroads. And also Paloma Faith. We Mm -hmm. talked to her about ambition. And Matt Haig, I know, has done your podcast. I'm a huge fan of his books. So that was just a joy sitting down with him. He's lovely. Oh, it was just really amazing. Because I've read all his books. I was sort of being a bit of an annoying fangirl and like knowing too much about his life. But he's lovely. (laughs) So that was really wonderful. And Alexandra Shulman talking about leaving a big role and what that means. And, you know, I guess I had it on a lesser level when I left Radio 1 that you lose a sort of a title or a, a word that people associate with you and how you feel about that. So that was really interesting. So we've done 10 for the first series, wow. all with different interesting people. So, you know, some are not in the public eye. There's a breathing expert and a yoga teacher who've just got amazing backstories. And I hope that they're just nice stories that people will listen to because it is quite anecdotal as well as conversational. So people will come away and go... That helped me in this way, or I've been through that, and so has that person. We talk about bereavement and loss and 
addiction and mental health issues and all sorts of stuff throughout the series. So I'm really, really excited about that, actually. How exciting. Mm, yeah, I feel really I feel like buzzed about it. I feel like I can't wait to listen to it. Oh, I really hope so. I hope you like it. I love a podcast. I do. It's the best. Best. It's like having a friend that you never knew you had. I love listening to podcasts. Mm, it's a sort of easy intimacy to Heaven, have. yeah. And you don't have to play any songs. No. No pressing buttons and all that faff. No, I mean, I don't... I, yeah, Twiddle I, your knob. Twiddle my knob. Yeah. Here, headphone volume. So <laughs> I feel like we've been... We could. I could just sit here and chat to you for... We actually could. For, it's worrying. For hours. <laughs> worrying. Um, you have a list in your book of things that make you feel calm. And so it's everything from, like, your mum's advice to hugs from your dad to hanging out with your children. I was like, that makes you feel calm, but I get what you mean. Yeah, it does, because I get such parental guilt when I'm not with them, which is just crap and pointless, that when I'm with them, even if it is chaotic, there is an undercurrent of calm in there, that I'm with them and we're all, we're eating or we're playing or we're drawing on the walls, but we're there, we're together, and I think... Just that space and being in that sort of parental space, that makes me feel very grounded, which in turn has a bit of calm attached to it. Mm. They are the best moments. Oh, they are. Even though it's so tiring and they're so hectic. And my daughter, at the moment, we call her Princess Margaret because (laughs) there is just a lot of demands going on and a lot of the word no. Yeah, two is a tricky age, but it's the best. It's the best thing ever. I feel so chuffed that I've got two little monkeys. Has having children made you, you know, you've spoken about experiencing depression and anxiety. Has having children made you more determined than ever to do self-care, to look after yourself so that those episodes, I mean, how often are they? How, what would you... Well, anxiety is probably more prevalent than depression. Mm-hmm. I'd say I haven't had a big depressive episode for a while I'll definitely spiral off and I have certain triggers that will just send me off and they're all related to my own self-worth. So if I'm feeling like a piece of crap about myself and I feel like everyone else is completely winning at life and I am just drowning in it, that's when I just spiral and I go. And I'll usually go through... I don't know, four or five days at the worst a week and then I think, oh, I'm never going to feel great again. Then all of a sudden I just wake up and I feel sort of neutral and I'm like, Mm. okay. Then I feel pretty good and I get back to feeling, yeah, like pretty optimistic. So my natural setting, weirdly, is highly optimistic and it has been always. So I get back to that and then I look back and go, what the hell was I doing last week? How was I that person? And it feels like two different people. It's Mm. completely bizarre. And I don't remember why I had those feelings or how they even felt. It's just completely peculiar. It just goes. So I definitely have this sort of oscillate between that, but it could be quite lengthy periods of feeling good and then a little patch of bad again. But I had a pretty bad time for on-off a year of sort of a bleak time. So that I feel like, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future? We don't. I just deal with day-to-day, but I've been pretty good. But anxiety-wise, I don't know if that gets worse when you become a parent. There's a lot more to worry about, obviously, and there's a lot more riding on everything, whether it is your home life or it is your working life, because everything really boils down to, are they happy, are they okay? I sometimes get detracted from that simple focus of, are they okay, are they happy? And I get all confused about everything. Am I being a good enough mum? Am I Mm. doing enough make and do with them? Are they eating (laughs) enough 
friggin' greens, whatever it is. And I think that I overcomplicate it in my head and that does make me anxious. So it could be something silly like Honey missed her nap or she didn't eat any lunch and I can just get really highly stressed about something so silly like that. So my husband's there to get me in check because he's very grounded and very calm always, so that's brilliant. But it's more the sort of panic attack side of things is never kid or family related. I think the love of that situation and... It's usually more about the practical issues in life with kids. They are inherently happy, you know, or stroppy, but they're inherently kind of looking for fun. But I think all the panic stuff comes from either feeling in danger, like if I'm on a motorway, or work stuff. What's everyone thinking about me? What's everyone saying? What are they saying now? Are they hating this podcast? Do they think I'm a twat? You know, it's just a constant monologue of self-hatred going on in those moments. And if I'm nervous on top of that, that's where the panic will come in. So I've not got a hold on that one yet. I think also lack of sleep from getting up really early with the kids doesn't help. Mm. So at a later stage when they're maybe teenagers and I can't get them out of bed, that might change. It's okay to not have a hold on things, I Mm. think, as well. And I think that's really interesting when you speak about, you know, one week you'll be in a complete funk and the next you'll be like, I don't understand why. I think one of the most helpful things in recovery for me has been knowing that things pass. Yeah. The way you're feeling right now is not the way you're always going to feel. Yeah. And it is just a feeling. And, yeah. You know. My mum has always said that to me because she's, she's suffered with depression over the years. And she'll always say, you know, this or two shall pass. Even the good stuff. That's the letting go bit, isn't it? Going, I feel so brilliant today and so buzzed and I'm pumped about this. But that's that won't last. And that's okay. It's the... The nature of it not being permanent, I guess, makes that bit so special. And the nature of it not be, of the bad times not being so permanent hopefully will help you not get stuck in that as well. The Matt Haig, there's a brilliant quote in Reasons to Stay Alive. I'm not going to do it any justice now. I'm going to ruin it. I apologise, <laughs> Matt. But you are the sky. The clouds are your depression and the clouds can sort of come and go. Mm. But you'll, you'll always be there. Yeah. So just kind of... Be the sky. Don't yeah. fall in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think, you know, you're going to feel good times and bad times are going to come and go and you're going to have all these different feelings. For me, it's about not trying to put words to those feelings because that's when I think it gets a bit overcomplicated. And if I am feeling down, a sort of an inner monologue will begin and there's a vernacular attached to that and it's all very negative. That's when I think I could end up in it longer because I'll convince myself that I am useless, rubbish at this, could have been better at that. Everyone thinks this about me. If I don't go there, then I think it naturally does pass a bit quicker. And probably likewise with the good times, you know, not trying to be too self-congratulatory or Mm. over-egging those moments and just experiencing them. And then it naturally peters off again and, and sort of knowing that. And nobody is like thumbs up, saccharine, sweet, happy all the time. They're just not. It's not possible to be like that. Thank you, Fern. I think it's really important to know. Obviously, it doesn't give me pleasure to know that you <laughs> are sometimes plagued by self-doubt. Oh, massive, and, every day. And, um, it's not nice to know, but what I mean is it, it is always when you see hugely successful women such as yourself and then you, you hear the truth, which is that we all feel like this. Yeah. And that's a really important message to get across. Massively. And, and it's okay. I thank you for coming on the podcast and, thank you. Uh, and, and sharing that with us. I really look forward to hearing your podcast. Thank you. I really hope you like it. Three quick tips for being calm. Um, Probably all this too shall pass is another good one of even in the most panicky moments, it's not going to last forever. Even if it feels like it would at the time, it will go. I think also 
on a more acute parenting tip, don't try and look for calm because it's probably not there. <laughs> so although you might have like an undercurrent of it because you love your kids, you know, I used to try and firefight chaos with surface spray and tidying things up and trying to get the kids to do the things I wanted. And then I just thought, what am I doing? Just let them be wild animals and crack on with it and I'll just be less knackered then. So letting go. And I would say being kind to yourself. I know we've talked about it loads, but it's a huge one. I think when you're in the midst of self-conflict and you've got one voice saying, you're a piece of crap, and then the other one going, oh, come on, you've just got to rid yourself of that and be nice to yourself and give yourself a break. And if you cock up in life, it doesn't matter. And that's where you're going to get back to that place of calm by just going, no one's going to live a perfect life. We're all going to make mistakes. And that is A-OK. In fact, that is perfect in itself. You are perfect. You are. And if in doubt, look at a picture of Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Yes, and light a candle. (laughs) If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, a comprehensive list of mental health services is available on our website, which is www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld. If you want help right now, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116-123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. And they're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Finally, there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. And remember this, you are not alone. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.